Ekdal, Northwoods. My name is Conrad, and this is the eighth episode of Space Spinner Reaction, a podcast where, where we try to make sense of the UK's classic comic action three issues at a time. This issue we're covering action for July 1976, issues 22 to 24. This issue, this episode, Hell's Highway blows up, Blackjack sings, Lefty gets detention, and Dredger gets into some helicopter antics. Um... And besides the actual action, this a- this episode we've got a special guest host, Steve Green of the Judgmentian Search Troy fan films. Whoa! <laughs> Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, Conrad. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hope you're enjoying our coverage of action. Yeah, it's bringing about a, a lot of happy memories and, and memories that I took on. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So you, so did you read action when it was coming out back in like '76? Yeah, I don't know whether I read it all the way. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely remember having like the uh, the hook jaw t shirt transfer, <laughs> and uh, I'd, I'd seen Jaws at the cinema when I was about seven, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I was I was a bit nuts about sharks and things like that. So I think I was I was mainly reading it for the sharks. Nice. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, other things like you know, I read Dredge and I remember Spinball uh, and Blackjack up to a point and. I can vaguely remember Angie from Lookout for Lefty. She still like rings a bell and sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just like the terrifying fashions of the time. That that probably what. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, me more than any shark. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting seeing um, these or talking to people about their memories of action. Sort of what this comic is, you know. So much. It's it's it's. it's because of its sort sort of controversial end, and because it only ran for less than a year, I get or was sort of mm-hmm. at, at its height for less for less than a year. It, it, you know, it's 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 much more prone to people just remembering bits and pieces of it as opposed to being more so much more completely remembered the way two thousand AD is. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a few people who probably just think, oh, "Did I imagine that? Did I? You know, was that actually a thing, or or whether they were conflating it with some other comics or?" Yeah, yeah. things like that. Whereas obviously, two thousand ideas had forty years to sort of like cement itself and made a bit more of an impact. Where there was, uh, you know, a lot of these other comics which were sort of like, you know, there and gone. And uh, yeah, I mean, I people, think people vaguely remember them. Absolutely, and I think for action, especially, just because it can get so weird sometimes, you could be prone to like, no, that was probably just a dream that I had one time <laughs> or something like that. You know, like like multiple helicopter blade murders in one in one month. <laughs> I'm like, sure there's only one. There couldn't have been more than one. But nope. Yeah, I guess not. Okay, <laughs> you know. Oh, that's amazing. All right. So with that said, hey, let's get into it with story one, Dredger. Uh, Dredger's written by Kelvin Gosnell. Ah, Dredger. Um, so at an agricultural expo, we uh, Dredger decides to shoot a guy with a limp because he believes him to be a Gepo agent, which I've since learned is like the Eastern German version of the KGB, basically. Um, he shoots him with a knockout dart and questions the man. When the agent comes to, Dredger threatens his good leg, and um, because of it, he comes clean. Basically, his men are attacking a nearby research station. Uh, the boys rush over, but are run off the road by a speeding car. They eventually arrive at the facility and find that a deadly bacteria has been stolen from the base. But they can't prove that it was the Gepo agent, so they got to let him go and stuff. Oh you yeah, I mean Georgia has got some standards. I mean, you know, like it's it it it, it it's breed holding them back every time, you know. <laughs> Luckily, yeah, they, yeah. breed just sort of, he seems to be the only one that has the thought bubbles 
there's lots of these sort of uh, little asides and yeah. I kind of wonder whether Bree's just like uh, an imaginary Dredge's imaginary friend. Ooh, that's well, that's an interesting question. Or, or alternately, if yeah, or if uh, if a Dredger's Bree's imaginary friend, and he just sort well, of yeah, sees himself doing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that night, Dredger breaks into the East Germany embassy as you do, where he's caught trying to switch bacteria vials. He doesn't seem like his mission to swap them was successful, and he's kicked out of the embassy. As the agent takes off in a private plane, though, Dredger reveals that he didn't swap the vial. He just added a small explosive to the correct vial, causing it to break and kill everybody, everyone aboard the agent's plane. Oh, they all die like coughing and, you know, crazy bacteria cloud. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, so I guess that's not the pilot, though. No, it doesn't seem like the plane crashes right away. Like, I don't know right. what's going to happen, but it's definitely, it seems reckless, but I guess yeah. that's what you expect when you've got Dredger on the case. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, I'm sure there's like a flight attendant. It's it's a bit sort of like, it's a bit Death Star sort of like, you know, I'm sure there's some innocent contractors, but you know, Dredger. Yeah. Uh. I mean, <laughs> you're going to get some collateral damage, you know? Like, yeah, that's sort I of. He's, you know, he's not trying to say that he's honorable like the rebels are in Star Wars, right? He specifically <laughs> positions himself no, he, as, as you know fighting dirty, get. you know? Yeah. <laughs> he, he does what he says on the tin. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So next up, Dredger and Breed are in Central Africa to protect the president of a small country that Dredger previously fought in during his, like, uh, mercenary days. The president is headed to the UN with proof that uh, Cubans are helping the guerrillas in the resistance to his regime. It also seems that Dredger and the, and the president have a secret between each other. But before we can learn more about that, the car they're in is hit by a petrol bomb. <laughs> Dredger takes the wheel as the guys roll out and start gunning down the attackers. Dredger's manages to take them out well, with a by throwing a flaming machete at a troop a truck and making it explode. Just pretty awesome. But once they're defeated, Dredger realizes that the colonel they entrusted the president to must also be one of the rebels, and they sort of go to the airstrip and it's hostage situation time. Um, in the hostage situation, Dredger does d- does a speed and shoots the colonel through the president. <laughs> and <laughs> when the colonel flees to climb aboard a Russian helicopter, Dredger grabs a rifle and shoots the helicopter's rotor rotor with it, which sends which separates the rotor from the top of the helicopter and sends it flying around, hurtling into the colonel, killing him. Helicopter death one. That's why they call them choppers. <laughs> It, it turns out that the president was dying anyway, so it's no big deal for him to get shot. And the boys head to the UN with the president's information about the gorillas. That's oh, uh, uh, a few things about this sort of the, mm-hmm. uh, this episode of Dredger. Do you, you don't know who the artists were on these, do you? Sort of, no, it's been really tough to find out. Yeah, it it is really hard. Like I've got the uh, the action history of a violent comic um, book, which has some credits, but they're very much a sort of like here's a list of all the artists on Dredger. So I don't know because the art definitely changes from the first issue to the second issue in 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 in, in this week's episode. But yeah, yeah, I I, I don't well, know who the individual guys at, are. Looking at the looking at the style of the art, it really reminds me of Simon Fraser. Obviously, I mean Simon Fraser's like twenty years later. <laughs> um, if you look at like Nikolai Dante, sort of like. Uh, uh, some of his faces, especially the on um, the first page, mm-hmm. the sort of panel of the uh, the, the president, 
it looks really, you know, it's interesting. Like, yeah, you know, you get these sort of pictures of uh, artists time tra- uh, people time traveling and go, oh yeah, that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. It's, uh, yeah, it's just really, really freaks me out. I'm kind of relieved that. Um, Knowing that uh, like some of these shows aren't exactly uh, racially sensitive, this isn't too bad. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, like I've definitely seen worse stuff. Like, out there, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> like everybody, everybody speaks like sort of correct English. Like it's just sort of, you know, it's more, it's the the problem's more sort of just like a like imperialism than anything else. If you yeah, want to get real yeah. politically correct, yeah, about I mean, them. We, we get into Sharky later on in uh, in Hook Jaw. So indeed, uh, yeah, that's more where where this stuff's focused. Um, the final treasure story. Oh, I, I just want to say also uh, shooting the 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 top of the hell. The rotor of the helicopter off so that it hits a guy is something I think I've literally done with my toys when I was a kid. I'm just like, oh, but then it keeps <laughs> flying and hits him. Oh. I'm, I'm really impressed with the uh, the flaming machete. Oh yeah, that's a cool. That, that's that an machete, awesome move machete? too. No, that's not good enough. I love it. Machete on fire. <laughs> yeah, into like the gas tank of the trucks so that it explodes. Ridiculous. Uh, that guy getting blown towards camera as well. <laughs> you know, you always got to innovate in these strips. I think uh, that's new <laughs> stuff. So in 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 North Africa, Dredger and Breed are hiding out in a minaret observing a nearby prison where the leaders of a new military junta are trying to get a pro-Western sheik to renounce leadership by executing his followers via firing squad. And there's like, as they're doing it, they're like, uh, they're holding up the, uh, the, the prayer caller that sort of, uh, you know, does the call to worship in, in, in the minaret yeah. up there. Dredger then steals his clothes and uh, puts a plan into action as a disguised breed goes to enter the prison dressed as like a, uh, as, as, as like a Muslim priest, allowing Dredger to get the drop on the guards. Breed infiltrates the prison, but he's immediately caught. And that sends Dredger into overdrive. He's double fisting AK 47s and, and, and running away to start a new plan, basically. <laughs> Um, I, I, I love the line by the scorpion. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's good, good, uh, like a uh, foreign swearing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so soon, Breed is brought out to be killed by via firing squad. But when the medical helicopter comes early to collect Breed's body, oh, it's Dredger in a helicopter. He's <laughs> he's throwing grenades. He's gunning people down. They get they, everybody climbs aboard and they go to fly off. And there's a the guys with a machine gun on like the roof or something, and he just helicopters over and takes them all out with the rotors of the helicopter. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they should have let, uh, read uh, last last week's. So, yeah, they, they got have known, like Dredger plus helicopter. He's dangerous with these helicopters. Like, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna get chopped up. It's bad times. <laughs> they they all escape along with the sheik. They weren't saved by an angel, but by a devil in the sky. <laughs> and, uh, next time on Dredger, more explosive action with your favorite killer. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know what to say because I just love these Dredger stories so much because, you know, they've got this sort of like just we're just going to shoot everybody like how your toys would do it <laughs> kind of action. That's just a lot of it's fun. It's pretty much. I mean, I guess it's uh, it's going a bit it's a, it's a bit like the uh, Dan Dare Battle Action playset sort of uh, sort of thing, but with. But with helicopter blades, yeah, and it's flaming, very and flaming machetes. <laughs> it's very much just like like a like shoot first, ask ask questions, maybe kind of action, you yeah. know. 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Like, like, like option one is violence. Option two is way more violence. It's good. To, it's real <laughs> awesome. You know. But uh, speaking of a uh, complex interpersonal relationships, <laughs> let's let's go to story two: Green's Grudge War. Uh, writer for this one, Jerry Finley Day, artist Massimo Bellardinelli. And our boys, green and bold, oh, they're World War II uh, frenemies doing stuff commando style, and now they're pinned down by German flamethrower troops when bold has an idea. He breaks a petrol tank and causes the flamethrower guy to set himself on fire. Oh, it's awesome. There's a lot of this... uh immolation and uh yeah fair amount i i noticed that as well yeah like i think there's molotov cocktail like last episode had some molotov cocktail action and hook jaw and stuff um it's definitely yeah a lot of a lot of fair amount of people set on fire recently (laughs) um the uh the boys are out of immediate danger but they're still stuck on a beach in enemy territory when they because they arrive there just in time to see a troop ship pull away um mean um Sorry. Moments later, mine got Green and Bold have commandeered a car, which they drive at speed into the harbor and motor towards the troop ship. But as the commandos climb aboard, the ship takes a few hits, killing the deck crew, and Green is forced to take control of the wheelhouse and orders the ship to go full full speed ahead. Too, so they've uh, commandeered this troop ship. They're flying along. Uh, Green has visions of medals for escaping in his mind when suddenly they crash into a British battleship. And it's real tough. Uh, they, the brass decide what to do with them. They split the difference between giving them medals and giving them court martials for hitting the ship. And they sort of settle on seven days' leave. Doesn't that seem all right, does it? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's better than court martialed, I suppose. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, the boys head off. Uh, but when Green arrives home, his mom, did not without even seeing him, just tells him to shove off. So instead, he decides to visit Bold, <laughs> which is really funny, actually. <laughs> like, not even his parents can stand him, you know? So Green arrives at Bold's country cottage and is promptly buzzed by planes from a nearby airfield, which is, I guess, like next door, apparently. They have dinner and Green heads to bed, but is awoken by airfield defenses in Bold's backyard a few a few hours later. <laughs> they got a lot packed in there. Really, yeah. They're just they're all like I guess they're like just abutting the airfield basically. <laughs> There's been a raid, and the boys head out to help put out fires, which the Germans are now using to guide their bombs. Tired of being on the sideline. Green jumps into a nearby grounded plane and shoots upwards at some incoming planes, which seems to scare them off. Later, the raid ends, and the um, and the boys continue helping out fires, but when some friendly planes land, the pilots complain that uh, somebody, namely Green, tried to shoot at them when they tried to land the first time. <laughs> <laughs> to make matters worse, when they arrive back at the base, there's a new hard-ass sergeant who yells at Green for being scruffy and poorly shaven. Green is on report, and the new sergeant is Bold's cousin. Aw, oh, jeez. It's, it's a small universe. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Only so many high-level um, commandos with uh, appropriate names out there, I guess. <laughs> so final Green's Grudge War. The boys have been given a special assignment to recover an air commander's briefcase containing secret info lost in a downed plane in Holland. But when they arrive, the wreckage is missing, having just been taken away by a German transporter. Some quick searching, the team finds a car, and uh, Green and Bold climb aboard and head out after the convoy, taking out a German roadblocks as they go. A lot of roadblock running in uh, in, in action this week as well. <laughs> 
Soon they're able to take the transport and snag the briefcase, but the car they're in has run out of gas. So they climb into the transport. Um, but some German bikes coming after them are too fast outrun. So instead, Green climbs aboard the plane on the transport and uses its tail guns to take out the German pursuers. <laughs> Which is pretty. He's, he's only any good with uh, with planes that are on the ground. Yeah, no, no, no flying planes, just just, just grounded <laughs> ones. No, why, why would you? I'd rather yeah. have the plane on the back of a truck and fly from there. I mean, it's a much smoother aim, I think, for sure. Yes. Um, they blast back through that same roadblock, and they're back with the rest of their buddies. But at base, the sergeant major just says the mission went fine and doesn't report their awesome heroism because who would believe it? Yeah, not many. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty r- ridiculous heroism. I also like how the uh, the German um, border guard guy basically does a, a double take when the when the plane when the uh, when the transport <laughs> flies pa- back past him. Just kind of like, a, what a day I'm having with people blasting my robot. Bit of a sort of like Roger Moore Bond, right? You know, drunk uh, pigeon. <laughs> It, double take sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a total, like, a pour out your flask after doing a double take sort of <laughs> look. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and speaking of blasting through roadblocks, I guess, it's uh, Story 3, Hell's Highway. We just started Hell's Highway last episode. It's uh, by writer Jack Adrian and artist Mike White. Right. I mean, this is one I have no recollection whatsoever. It's like, it, yeah, it only started in the teens. I don't know if it lasts that long, but it's basically the story of a pair of truckers, Danny and Steve, who, after, um, like, helping a, 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 a government agent um, that was then erased by the government, they got, they, they lost their truck licenses in their truck. And so now they're trying to get back. Now they're trying to get their licenses back and get a cool new truck from a mysterious government agency. And they're basically just doing a lot of like, like a dirty deeds, essentially. Right. <laughs> like, uh, la- so last time they, they had a, mul- there was a multi-issue thing where they, where they were just a decoy. And this time they're getting a new mission. Um, when they try to get tough with uh, one of their agents, they just uh, get get judo thrown for their trouble. But the next mission should be easy. They're transporting a guy named Hein to Canada. Don't worry about how. He'll pick you up. <laughs> uh, and he also, here's some guns, just in case. Have a good day, basically. Yeah, but the Russian guns. Why, why, why are you giving these Russian guns? Ah, don't worry about <laughs> it, buddy. Just get going. <laughs> At the meeting place, Danny and Steve spot a guy breaking into their truck and punch him out, and then meet a second guy who must be Mr. Hine, I guess. Um, <laughs> they start to pile aboard when another big rig shows up, the driver's shooting at him, and the guys all get aboard their truck and head out. Um, uh, there, a car chase starts up, but uh, Steve sideswipes a nearby truck full of logs, setting the wood cascading down, one of them going right through the windshield of the baddies. Whoa! Um, <laughs> yeah, with, God. I mean, I, I looked at. That, I was trying to work out whether they were logs or whether they were just like metal rods. And, oh yeah. And I, know, I, I know you're probably not going to sort of like worry whether it's a, a log or a or a metal rod when it's uh, it's some kind of deadly cylinder face, for but, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, but metal rods seem even worse than logs. Mm, yeah. No. On, on my scale, on my scale of things coming through the windscreen, I think. Um, yeah, I think I think metal poles are worse. I don't know. I yeah. I, I like. <laughs> Those feel bit, those feel like 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 two two points on the on the on the sheet that are very close together. I guess for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Afterwards, they see it seems like it's smooth sailing when a roadblock appears in front of him. The boys uh, plan to just stop and explain themselves, but Hein puts a, pulls a gun and demands they drive straight through. Uh, a, a gun to his head, Danny has no choice but to blow through the roadblock, uh, though the cops get word afterwards just to let them go and try to stop the, the truck behind them. The lads are worried about what Hein has done, especially when they learn that the guys that they just fought were Secret Service agents. <laughs> Meanwhile, those same agents blast through that same police roadblock and come after our buddies, and they're just five miles from Canada. Some tough driving, but they manage to get the Secret Service agents to go off the side of a bridge, and soon they arrive at the meeting place in Canada where Mr. Hine is promptly shot dead by Danny and Steve's handler. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, I guess this whole mission was just to get Hein out of the U.S. so he could be safely executed, I guess. And then the the guys are photoed over the dead bodies that can later be framed for murder if they try to get too uh, too tough. But, I mean, the, the guy who's sort of um, uh, Hartwell, uh, yeah. I mean, in like the first sort of, on the first page, like the first after, he really looks like um, Oscar Goldman from Six Million Dollar Man. <laughs> okay, it's yeah. Just like, it's just like an evil, an evil Oscar Goldman. <laughs> so many evil government guys. This really reminds me of a of a dredger we saw recently, where they sort of fought this guy that was reprogramming like American spy satellites, and a CIA guy just popped up out of nowhere and shot him in the head at the end. Which is like, whoa! <laughs> like they're just wandering around. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a real a real shout out to uh, the art on this. Uh, it, I think certainly with like the action era sort of stuff, everything feels really gritty and mm-hmm. i think i think it's all this all like the you know spattery sort of it just feels like everything's exploding or got uh <laughs> blood blood spray or soot or it's, it's it always feels so grubby and dirty and yeah. it, it's great it, it reminds me a little bit of mike dory absolutely yeah definitely like i mean we're we'll we'll get to dory later in the show for sure but all of it feels yeah has that same sort of like like grimy feel there's just so much like sort of casual murder and mayhem that's real that's real different even from like 2018 stuff Mm -hmm. um so final hell's highway the hell's highway boys are transporting a dangerous high octane fuel when they're stopped at a roadblock they worry it's fake but it turns out to be real there are these cops looking for an escaped convict for escaped convicts in the driving rain they're checked and allowed to continue later they see another cop on the side of the road flagging them down but this time it's a trap it's these convicts that have disguised themselves as cops trying to hijack the rig Danny and Steve uh, gets one of the convicts to shoot the other, and then they use driving-based trickery to eject another one out of the door of their truck, <laughs> which is very like, like oh, like oh, we're we're going real fast in this slippery road. Like if you weren't careful, I could go flying out the side door. <laughs> like oh, suddenly I'm not being careful. Oh, he goes out the side door. Good stuff. <laughs> oh, well, said it would happen. We did warn you. Yeah, to be fair. Um, so. <laughs> I guess these guys decide that the reason that the cons tried to steal their rig was because there was a bunch of other escapees, so they need a big vehicle. And so they decide to go to go be vigilantes and do stuff on their own. <laughs> they f- go flying into a nearby gas station where the cons are holed up with some hostages, use some fancy driving to both snag the hostages and cause their rig and cause their truck to like hit the gas station which causes a massive explosion taking out all the convicts oh that's awesome good uh oh, that's handy 
good action movie, like jumping away from the explosion while holding up, like like a little girl in your arms that you've just saved or something, (laughs) you know. Very, very good uh, uh, not looking at explosion action here. But so the day yeah. is saved and the army is just going to have to be, it's just going to have to lump it about their lost jet fuel. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the kid, kid was uh, pretty impressed with it though. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is sort of a dark horse and one that, that I've just never really heard of. It does have some decent, um, like, like car driving action and like uh, explosions and stuff. Although, I don't know. For me, sometimes I have trouble figuring out exactly what's going on on the page. Sometimes <laughs> it can get kind of confusing, and like yeah, so like, like motivations are a bit sort of uh, yeah, kind of get a bit lost in the uh, yeah and, uh, and just poles 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 going through windscreens and absolutely trucks trucks driving into. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like just one big long action sequence. Yeah, it's they, like there's the vaguest of, of introductions, and it's just, all right, car chase, ah, explosion, whatever. Which, I mean, I can't complain about too much, but it is, it, it is kind of funny. And just, man, I got no idea which one's Danny and which one's Steve. I got to say that, like, on the outset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But speaking of, um, I don't know, unforgettable characters, or the opposite of that, it's Story 4, Death Game 1999. Uh, writer Tom Tully, artist Costa of the Gioletti Agency. So, in the last episode for Death Game, we had spent a lot of time dealing with their the, with their new teammate, the psychotic cyborg Al Rico, and we now see him being loaded into the team bus. His bionic implants hidden by artificial skin. He's basically a proto Artie Gruber, essentially. I mean, yeah. I mean, Artie Gruber is one of my favorite all time characters. So I mean, I do, I do remember this guy, and you know, you can sort of see his, uh, you know, like the genesis of like Tom Tully reusing. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> sort of like cy- yeah. cyborg maniac. <laughs> totally. Meanwhile, Taggart, along with Otto, another crazed hood that he's recruited to kill Rico, they all just prep to deal with the machine man, because it's him or us, because this Rico guy's real scary. At the Michigan Prison Ice Dome, spinball fans are rabid in anticipation for the return of Rico. Uh, not the Dread story, just the, uh, the spinball story. When the game starts, Taggart chooses to go on defense first, claiming it'll give Rico a chance to adjust to being back on the ice. But it doesn't seem to matter much, though, because soon Taggart gets the spinball, which he violently passes to Rico, which drives the cyborg berserk. As he does, as this happens, Taggart six Rico on Otto, and the two of them start to fight as Rico sheds his fake skin, terrifying the audience. <laughs> so Rico and Otto get fighting each other; they're going hammer and tongs, and the opposing team take advantage of the depleted defenders, at least until Taggart sort of deflects a shot and causes a new one to be knocked in. On the sidelines of the game, Smales, the prison wardens, orders the fight broken up. But when the spinball is next released, Rico puts Otto's head in the line of fire, which instantly kills him, just breaking his brain in. Oh, it's real, like, gross on the page, honestly. Yeah, I mean, that. I think that's one of the ones that I really remember. I mean, that does happen in Rollable, though, doesn't it? That, yeah. I think that exact, that exact sort of thing. So but I'm I trying feel... to work out whether I'm... You know, I mean, remembering rollable rather than this, but it, it, 
it's assume, pretty unforgettable. Yeah. It, it's happened a couple times in Spinball so far, but I feel like this is the most I've seen a guy's head actually be destroyed in the course of yeah. this stuff. It, like, it's crazy. Like, I feel like most of the time you, you'd you cut away for this kind of thing. And so they're just like, ah, like look at that guy's head. Um, yeah, you could sort of like imagine it on like Bellard Nelly doing it on uh, Inferno or Harlem Heroes. That it'd be a bit more fantastical, whereas this yeah. is proper it's, splat and teeth, yeah, teeth just, and yeah. Exactly. I mean, look. Like you said about things being gritty, it just feels like like a like a, a horror movie done in someone's backyard that somehow becomes even though like the special effects are just sort of are very practical and hand done, it feels very visceral almost. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Rico gets up, he's ready to play. The crowd ro- roars his name. He goes mad. He then he just wanders the ice, killing everybody he comes across, is ripping their throats <laughs> out with his bare hands, basically. In the face of all this carnage, the Michigan maniacs forfeit the game. No one else wants to be killed. Smells is won by sheer terror alone. And now he's starting to feel like he doesn't need Taggart anymore. You know. Have we figured out why he's got his mouth stitched together? Is there any? Is that to stop him eating people? Or? Yeah, <laughs> he's got a lot of sort of generalized, like cybernetic weird stuff going on. <laughs> So Rico takes a victory lap and then starts fighting the guards as well when they tell him to stop. But in a, in in last episode, we learned that he's got sort of this remote control nerve jolter inside of him that that you know subdues him quickly and will presumably not um, end up being a major plot point later in the story. <laughs> <laughs> Smales and like the other wardens decide they still need to do some work on Rico's brain. And Smales also orders that Rico be made to hate Taggart as well. Cause you know, why not? While, while you, you got the hood up on the guy's brain, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he needs much of an incentive. I it's, mean, it's, yeah, like it's just, a bit over egging the pudding. It's, uh... You got to point him in that direction, I think. <laughs> Back at the prison, the boys learn they're on the top of the spinball rankings, but Taggart's more worried about Rico's murderous ways. Still, being on top has privileges. The boys get, like, uh, T-bone steaks and all the ice cream they can eat at the chow line. <laughs> um, and it looks like the uh, uh, a newer player, Yo-Yo, is, is planning to be Taggart's bodyguard as well because um, he sees Taggart as his ticket out of prison and, you know, has managed to connect the dots that the ward will probably have try to have Taggart killed soon. It, it seems pretty. Yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. get too attached to Yo-Yo. No, I can't, I can't remember. But he, he doesn't seem like the sort of guy that's going to stick around for very long. No, he's in a good spot to die heroically, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and, but and Yo-Yo's worries seem reasonable as Rico is put in an electric chair and has the hatred of Taggart clockwork oranged into him. <laughs> Just <laughs> feel this pain. Look at this man you hate. That evening, Taggart's called out to the spinball gear house on his own, and Rico is sent to the same place. It's time for a manhunt. <laughs> it's so, oh. like, I love Rico, like, just the ultra-violence of, of spinball right now, or of a death game is really awesome. It's so weird, though, like, you'd think Smales could just take Taggart off the team. Like, he's like the coach, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I think you get a few of these sort of things you know in action where you just go but why don't they just do that (laughs) yeah like it doesn't it doesn't seem like you have to program your your murder cyborg for this specific thing but i mean i i can't argue with the results so it's fine you know Yeah, it's, it's entertaining. Exactly. And and, and and speak of things that might be less than necessary, it's non-stories, covers, editorial, action man, and money man. 
just all the all the non-story stuff in these issues of action. In issue twenty-two, I hate the Jerry's, but I hate <laughs> Bold even more. <laughs> An angry Green Green's Grudge War cover. Inside, Steve tells us about a recent camping trip he went on. There's a letter from a kid losing a bike tire, and a mostly incomprehensible handwritten letter. They, they're putting these handwritten letters in the or. Maybe just letters t- like done in this sort of cursive font, and man, they're very hard to read, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I told you, I found a place the uh, actually sells old old copies of Actions. So mm-hmm. I probably could figure out what that actually does say, but I'm not that interested. Yeah, the quality of the digital. <laughs> I'm not that interested yeah. in this sort of forty year old letter. They're definitely like the quality of the digital versions I have are very um really put that to the test of just like all right I think I think this one's just scribbles guys like I don't know <laughs> during World War uh, when it's yeah uh, doodle up doodle bugs uh, and plus uh, yeah, yeah so many of them are like lame lame like dad jokes and stuff so it's like whatever <laughs> it's so it's so weird that they publish addresses though. Yeah, you know. no, that's the thing that I find really, really weird. I mean, and that was sort of going on pretty, pretty recently. I, I, so I, um, there's a guy I know uh, who had a letter published in one of the DC dreads, so that would have been 1990s, and it had had his address in that. Oh so wow, it's it's, it's kind of you know yeah. yeah, sort of data protection didn't exist up until <laughs> just didn't have those, <laughs> ha- have those worries, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So mid-issue, Money Man's headed to Hastings, and there's a bunch of no-wall questions. Also, yeah, there's the there's the Palatoy ad for um for Planet of the Apes and Star Trek, which I think is pretty awesome. <laughs> I, I love the fact that Klingon just gets Klingon. Yeah, he's just sort of a generic one, you know. It's the old school ones without the forehead ridges or anything. Um, and then the issue ends with, 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 with what I think is also a cool thing of a of an ice lolly with a stencil stick that you can use to draw funny faces with. Um, uh, I do remember that. And there's also winners for the uh, sailboat hookjaw competition, and then some tips for doing some sweet high dive moves. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do any of that. There's so much sports I, stuff I in action. I pretty much did a yeah. cannonball or a belly flop, and that was about it. Oh, hey, same here. You know, I'm not trying to trying to show off. You know. <laughs> In, in uh, issue 23, Blackjack isn't pulling any punches because instead he's hitting dude with his blind cane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we we learned that uh, Steve's football team is Portsmouth, which I guess he gets a lot of guff for. But they just won Division Three or some, yeah. uh, some soccer thing, I guess. <laughs> There's an incomprehensible letter of the week, a hut built in a garage, a kid who ate fried shark and chips, and a poem about action in a Magnum Force game. Uh, money, money man, man is headed to Clacton, home of the fuzz. So get hype. The issue yeah. ends with more know all questions and some t- some cricket tips that I'm finding very impenetrable. Like I don't know what's going on with cricket. It's very weird. Uh, I I don't either. It's it's like one of these things that just happens. I guess it's sort of like like you know being an American guy and not knowing anything about American football or baseball. I mean, I'll take yeah. For me, just I look at everything I know about cricket. I think I, I played a, a cricket video game once and like didn't know what I was doing and did very poorly. And I was like, <laughs> all right, fair enough. Um, there's, there's also a rare Action Mouse comic. This time he's trying to pull a rabbit out of a hat, but the rabbit is on strike, which is pretty good. Um, and after Topical. being off, 
Yeah, and after a while, there's a uh, there's a story about Mike Caravasili, who is a young cyclist who we learned spent 250 pounds on a bicycle. Whoa, imagine. <laughs> I'm trying to work out what that would have been in 1976. That's... That's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, action is seven pence, so I guess you got to work out from there. (laughs) (laughs) And issue 24, it's kill, dredger, kill. He's a cold-blooded hunter, but now they're out to get him. Which doesn't really reflect this this, uh, dredger story, I guess, but I'll go with it, (laughs) you know. No, I mean, I can't really see sort of dredger on the run. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would, I would read that story in an instant. It's just not really the story that we had with him, with them breaking that that guy out of prison with the helicopters and stuff. Inside letters include jokes about manure, a world record for saying yes um, over and over oh, again I mean, on that, the phone. That, I mean, that is a great sort of thing. Like first thing, done. <laughs> so, this guy's uh, being... as, a, as a sort of like, as a heading, just just having shit on there. That's <laughs> yeah, that's it's awesome. Yeah, and then this letter about this guy being very mean to his mom as she's on the phone. <laughs> nice. And I guess the editor's on vacation, so Steve has just been sort of playing hooky, just sort of going out and playing soccer with the lads from the uh, Valiant comic. Which... <laughs> It's a funny idea of just all these King's Reach Tower guys sort of like, yeah, you know, playing soccer on the roof or something. Oh, God. I, I just hope there's some sort of like, you know, eight millimeter footage of uh, of Pat Mills and John Wagner playing football. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Oh, man. That would be awesome. I'd, I'd watch that in a second. Totally. <laughs> uh, this issue ends with the, all the general action stuff. Money Man is headed for the Skegness district, I guess. Um, and they're. Yeah. There are no all questions, Patrick Moore. Uh, yeah, so, uh, Skegness, it's um, Skeggy, it's uh, normally called. Ah, but, okay. um, yeah, it's yeah, it's up in the sort of like northeast, I think, I guess. Ah. Uh, uh, north northeast coast. It was like one of these uh, seaside towns. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, a lot of um, uh, you know, sort of holiday not not exactly holiday camps, but you know you go out for a day out and uh, yeah, that, that sort of thing. It seems to mostly be where Money Man's going. You know, he's sort of like at, at least they're having him sort of be um, going to like decent places instead of just like the streets of London, like it was in the early days. <laughs> I'm just looking at that that sport hack advert. The face on that guy's terrifying. <laughs> where it says like being Olympic champ. Yeah, no, there's some the art in all of these ad, and a lot of these ads are really are really weird. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I know he's sort of hurdling, but he's just sort of in these yeah. tight tight shorts with this um zombie like face. It's like yeah. it's going very hard. Wolverine Wolverine and Bub out of uh, <laughs> Day of the Dead. <laughs> oh my gosh. So uh, Patrick Moore's Twitter of the Week, the uh, the astronomer. There's more contest winners and even more cricket advice. And the back cover has some in-depth angling advice as well. I like that. That one of the things to have is a stool to sit on. It's very important information. <laughs> Again, fishing not something I really did much of. Oh. Uh... I mean, I appreciate the wide net action throws in terms of its various sports advice it gives. <laughs> But I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can apply this to uh, Red Dead Redemption. So uh, oh, awesome! Yeah, do a little bit of fishing in that. Yeah, fishing and uh, and a horse horse um uh, horse stealing. It's the important two jobs. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of deadly things in the water, it's Story Five Hookjaw. It's the one. Amazing. My, my, probably, probably my favorite story. Uh, mine too. It's just so, it's got everything I want, I got to say. 
and, it, and the fact that it's in color. Does, oh yeah, does absolutely. Help, it does help with the blood. I just love sometimes in Hookshot, there's just these panels that are just red. Like, oh, this is just the blood panel. You know? <laughs> Do you reckon sort of like action had like you know if they were sort of going like, okay, this is this is how much ink we need. You know, like blue, eh, not so much. Yellow, not so much. Red, yeah, about four times as much red as anything else. No, the the red jug is even bigger than, than the black ink jug for for action. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so writer Pat Mills, artist Roman Sola, it's been a month since anyone has seen Hookjaw, and Rick Mason arrives aboard the Valhalla and like sort of Jacques Cousteau-style oceanographic vessel, which is filming the nearby reef. The, uh, the ship is following a pod of dolphins, and some sharks come up to them, and they sort of, we sort of see, um, them, um, and we sort of go in a mini sub where we see a tiger shark attack a sick dolphin and the rest of the, of the dolphins then attack that shark, like spearing its gills with their pointy snout and stuff like that. You know, but, yeah, but this is something I, I definitely remember sort of happening in the strip. And that was me going, is that a thing? I think I I've read that it is. It, a thing. I guess yeah. it is a thing. Although I think it's For also <laughs> mostly pro dolphin propaganda, which I feel like I'm all, I'm always <laughs> dealing with. <laughs> But as you might expect, this sea violence calls forth Hookjaw, who suddenly appears and tries to eat the mini-sub. Our, our, uh, the humans are in hole, which ca- instead cause just huge gashes in its hole. The teeth go right through the <laughs> hole of the ship. It's ridiculous. And Hookjaw is just gigantic here. <laughs> Variable-sized Hookjaw. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to work out how, how big he it must be about four, fifty feet long, I guess. Yeah, like he's 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 like the size. Of, I, I don't know if you saw that Jason Statham movie, uh, The Meg. Oh, The, the Meg. No, but he's but yeah, he, he, yeah. He's slightly smaller than than the megalodon in that. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so many people just get eaten whole by Hookjaw. You know, at or I mean, he's slightly smaller than that in at his biggest. Because like you know, like like Shaco after him. You know, variable sizes yeah. for variable situations. <laughs> Well, there's that there's that famous panel where there's like a, a diver sort of like swimming into his mouth, thinking it's a cave. Going, oh, this looks safe. Yeah, this is the, that's the first that's the first uh, cover image of this show because it's so like he's just <laughs> like thinks he's safe and just going right into that guy's mouth. <laughs> Completely clears it. Um, the crewman abandoned ship. Mason tosses the sub's camera in Hookjaw's mouth to distract it. Though at least one guy does indeed get their lower half bitten off. <laughs> The that's filming, always that's always best. No one survives, or everyone can't survive in a hookjaw encounter. The filmmakers want to leave, but instead decide to break their beliefs about not harming animals to instead help take out Hookjaw. You've you've turned Jacques Cousteau evil, Hookjaw. I hope you're proud of yourself. <laughs> God, he, he really does look like Cousteau in, in that last panel. I just love these. Like you know, usually we just um, observe the animals and are kind to them. But, but hook fuck jo- that shit. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. We're gonna kill this hookjaw, man. <laughs> it's a crazy murder shark, you know. So the scientists propose using compressed air to destroy hookjaw's liver, so that it will be unable to balance in the water, and they can like hit it with a cyanide har- harpoon. Um, Hookjaw or or Rick seems like skeptical of this, but still prepares the harpoons to do this. 
Um, and local native Sharky is found aboard the boat and he's almost killed by Dr. Gelder's goons. But instead, uh, Mason punches Sharky free and the native offers to help Mason find Hookjaw. And soon we see, like, we cut immediately to Sharky saying no as Mason <laughs> is about to stab a wetsuit with a knife. And it's like, whoa, what are you, why are you killing that guy? But it turns out is that... This, the, is this the first appearance of Sharky? Yeah, or? no, no, Sharky's appeared before because we just had a thing where he and... Like last episode, Sharky was sort of the 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 go between between Mason and the natives and doing a voodoo ritual to try to take out uh, um, right. um, um, Hookjaw. <laughs> so this is after that. <laughs> so so they've gone from one overly elaborate, not a chance plan to another uh, overly elaborate, not a chance plan. To there's skill. you know, <laughs> there's no uh, <laughs> there's no non elaborate way to kill Hookjaw. You know. <laughs> Like it's always got to, you know, and that's why you know he's the hero because he's got that sort of James Bond style. Like, well, we can't just like shoot him in the head, you know. <laughs> like we gotta, like, like put him in a in an easily escapable death trap, you know. That's sort yeah, of, it's not some sort of mouse trap thing, but for sure, exactly. <laughs> so Rick has he's put a dummy in a wetsuit and then filled the wetsuit with pig's blood to use as a decoy for a uh, hook jaw. Um, man, it's weird. The blood and the dummy soon call the beast, but Hookjaw isn't fooled by the dummy. Instead, he bites the legs off one of his attacker. A lot of leg biting this episode. <laughs> However, the plan works, and after getting hit in the liver, Mason hits Hookjaw with what he believes to be a cyanide-laced harpoon. The monster's dead, and the scientists and Gel- Dr. Gelder argue over Hookjaw's body sort of for science purposes, like, oh, this sh- giant shark corpse belongs in a museum, etc. Look <laughs> um, at the size of him. Like, well, you know, that one with sort of like sharky there. Yeah, no. He's, it's enormous. It's, it's, a, it's a whale. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but we learned that Hookjaw is, in fact, not dead, but actually knocked out. The cyanide uh, swapped with stun gas because Gelder now wants to use Hookjaw in a show. And we cut right to that in, our, in the final part of Hookjaw. <laughs> it just what seems like this is just a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> Hookjaw's knocked out. The bay he's in is like sealed with a metal fence, and stands are erected all around the lagoon as tourists file in to look at Hookjaw. It's like a video camera taping it and stuff. My God, I mean, that, that's that Hookjaw maybe drug, but I'd rather see him dead than subjected to Gelder's kind of torture. Yeah, I just want to see him dead. This is just you know, mean. If you had any sense, you just want to see him dead. Never mind the, the torture bit. Seriously, they uh, they drag Hookjaw out onto the land to put him on display and the fact that he's killed just dozens hundreds of people maybe doesn't stop some tourist from running over like grabbing hook jaws mouth and like standing inside the mouth like being inhibiting his head in a lion's mouth like oh look at me like i'm hanging out with hook jaw and when people take flash photos of it naturally that triggers hook jaws's jaw um reflexes and he just chomps this dude in half like his head goes flying in one direction the rest of his body goes flying the other direction it's pretty awesome. Uh, I mean, the, the camera flash thing. I mean, that's something I distinctly remember. You know, that whole sort of like sort of because you like barrel barrel of like James Bond sort of like barrel. Yeah, but it's it's you know? it's it's Hookjaw's mouth. Like you're looking at it from inside Hookjaw's stomach. These cameras going off. <laughs> It's also very King Kong of like the press, like sort of uh, driving King oh, Kong yeah. mad. But in this case, it's just waking Hookjaw up to return to his normal murderous ways. 
I think this is a, a the warning of flash photography. You know, is uh, ooh, that's why, of course. It's, really, it's not. It's, it's, it's not. It's not about epilepsy or anything like that. It's in case they trigger any uh, big monster murder sharks or giant apes. I mean, fair. You know, like I don't want to get eaten by a shark. It's ridiculous. But so they toss Hookjaw in the water, and it looks like they're gonna like Gelder's gonna stage underwater gladiator matches with the, with the shark. <laughs> Which can't be legal. That can't be legal. Like they, I mean, they who's, who's going to go for that? Like, I mean, possibly, possibly uh, Rico from uh, right. from Death Game. I mean, that's about the only. Oh, yeah, maybe Dredger. That's true. Yeah, you. Well, I mean, I, I guess the question's answered because they immediately it's it's just Sharky, this native guy they don't like, and they like <laughs> just put him in a fanciful outfit and give him a knife and toss him into the water, like live it up, you know. <laughs> Like, I mean, even this island isn't doesn't have like a police force. Like the UN has to step in. Like, come on, you know. (laughs) Anyhow, this fight seems pretty unfair, especially when one of the TV guys just kicks a bucket of blood into the water that drives Hookjaw mad, and that's just the cliffhanger that we end Hookjaw on. Sharky just swimming through the water. Hookjaw being like, "Oh, I'm going to eat you." But presumably that bucket of water, uh, that bucket of blood, that's not human blood. No, unless it's the blood from that guy that just got munched. Because he th- obviously he didn't sort of like he didn't go for the pig's blood. He goes ah pig blood. If there's one thing I've learned from hookjaw stories, it's that wherever there's hookjaw, there's also conveniently placed just buckets of blood hanging around <laughs> on the edges of water, just for reasons, I guess. Like it happened a couple yeah. times when they were on the oil rig too, you know. <laughs> Well, they've probably got like a sort of a supply ship coming in with like mm. big barrel, barrels of blood. Go, Have we got any blood? Go, oh, we need some blood. Yeah, you never know, I guess. <laughs> Jeez. You never know when you might need blood. Yeah, but speaking of uh, competing in an uh, underwater shark gladiatorial ring to competing in a boxing ring, it's Story 6, Blackjack. Uh, writer John Wagner, artist Trigo, although Blackjack, of course, isn't boxing anymore. Last episode, he won the championship and went completely blind and got into Kung Fu. Um, and now he's being framed for a murder he didn't commit. <laughs> Just a... It was a big episode of Blackjack last episode. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I, I mean, I guess they've sort of like gone with this thing. Like, okay, we've taken it as far as it can with the... Like the boxing side, so yeah. we're just going to sort of we're going to do it at dusk till dawn and completely switch it around. Exactly. Yeah, we just completely uh, change genres, and now now Blackjack's just a uh, he's like um, a smorgasbord. He's just got so many tropes going on at once. He's got Hopkido. He's blind. He's like falling in love with a lady. He's got a singing career coming on. There's a murder mystery. <laughs> like it's just oh my god, pick, pick one. <laughs> Every single thing is happening in Blackjack right now. <laughs> so, because right now he's uh being framed for a murder he didn't commit, but he when he like because he walked in on a on a on one talent agent murdering another, um, and he did manage to feel the killer's face and know that he only has one ear. It's sort of a fu- a fugitive situation here, you know, <laughs> the one ear man. man, yeah. <laughs> But the killer, realizing that Blackjack is blind, has now come back and he and he's accusing Blackjack of being the killer and calling the cops and stuff. 
Um, Blackjack goes to escape, but he gets attacked. And then he realizes that this guy who is accusing him is also the killer. He starts hitting him with his big Blackjack punches and stuff and goes to escape. But when he tries to hide in a nearby room, the room turns out to be a window and he falls out the side of the building. <laughs> Poor Blackjack, you know. <laughs> not having a good day of it. No. He barely survives the fall by grabbing an awning and hurts his ankle and just jumps inside a, a, a cab and drives off to safety. Meanwhile, the cops have arrived at the dead agent's house and the killer is learning um, Jack's identity and planning to silence him. Like, he can't go to the cops with Black Jack's identity because obviously, like, oh, like this blind guy killed my agent, like, doesn't really wash. So it's this weird thing where now both sides of this crime can't go to the police about it, I guess. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, sort of, yeah, Black Jack, I mean, I. Like... I feel like I mean, Blackjack he, he, could go to the police. He's like, sort of like kicking the shit out of somebody. So yeah, it's just yeah. a whole thing. I I guess um man. So uh, back home, Jack is chilling with this lady he saved from Muggers last episode named Cass. She identifies the killer as theatrical agent Tony Pirelli, who lost his ear in like a dispute a couple of years ago, and she invites him to come to her act at a la- at a lounge club. Just to get his mind off this whole murder, um, being accused of murder thing. <laughs> Jack agrees, and once he's there, comes up to sing a few songs. Just play some old Motown numbers. As the club owner recognizes him and calls in his identity to Mr. Pirelli, the killer. Oh, there's so much intrigue. It's, it's so weird that, you know, like the way this has sort of gone. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, they've got a bit of a daredevil vibe going on. You know, it's in New York, blind yeah. guy. Musical numbers. Yeah, absolutely, actually. Musical numbers. <laughs> well, I guess that's more Luke Cage, but still, like, it's got a, it, it does have sort of a Netflix Marvel Universe kind of feel to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a bunch of, like, obvious gangsters storm the club as Blackjack sings. Just, like, could not be more obviously gangsters. But the boxer's able to blindly fight off quite a few of them with his new hat keto moves. He does like jump kicks and stuff like that. But after taking out a couple, his ankle gives way and it looks bad for him until the band suddenly gets up and starts to defend Blackjack, just wailing on guys with their instruments, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> hitting a guy with a saxophone and stuff uh the day is one and blackjack and Cass leave but not before learning that the goons were sent by pirelli by like the manager of the club on the way out though jack gets an offer from talent agent jack schiff which uh pirelli overhears and soon the goons descend on schiff's office to lay a trap for blackjack <laughs> It's so funny. I just thought Blackjack was about like like uh, kung fu or hapkido or something. I was gonna be like a blind martial arts guy. But there's all this singing stuff going on and like gangsters. I don't know. <laughs> um, the final part. It's, it's mad. Uh, it's completely like just over the top. Like there's so much stuff going on. <laughs> The go- so we, so in the, in the final part, the goons threaten Schiff, who has no choice but to help them kill Blackjack. Blackjack himself was on the street being accosted by this drunk who's like, "Oh, you were the heavyweight champ, but now you're blind." And Hackjack and, and and Blackjack just tossed him straight into a into a trash can, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> he meets with his team, Solly and Yank, who tell him to go to the cops about the murder, but he says, "No way, they'd never believe him." 
They also talk about like some other threads that are going on here, which is that like Blackjack doesn't have a lot of money. So he's got to find some way to get cash to pay for his lifestyle here in New York. And there's this doctor, Dr. Jensen, who's an eye doctor that might be able to save Jack's sight, but he was in a car accident. So they're waiting to see if he gets better. My God, that's another thing, another layer. It's just a, it's just a, a deep tapestry of, of, of plot threads. <laughs> so we see Blackjack do more hapkido training. He's still pretty tough, you know. Like, like, like he can punch really hard and stuff. You know, he just can't see, obviously. At the dojo, though, he gets a call from Schiff to come to a recording studio. Which that night we see goons rigging with booby traps. <laughs> <laughs> so but that day when blackjack's like like singing and being recorded um instead of grabbing a microphone himself a studio tech grabs the grabs this trapped microphone which electrocutes him like home alone style and that means that blackjack's still alive when the whole place when like bombs go off and the whole place instantly goes up in flames and so they're just like now there's this towering inferno thing as blackjack and these musicians have to try to escape this building <laughs> I missed a, a trick with the strap line. They should have gone from Will Blackjack go from singing to singeing? Ooh, yeah, that just ends next time. Will Blackjack get singed? <laughs> I, I guess like the pun works well enough on on the page because yeah, it kind of looks like singed or something like that. But man, I I, I love that uh, the uh, the martial arts guy does the typical thing of calling him by his full name. <laughs> Jack Baron. Sheer this will not help your physical state, Jack Baron. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. He, and he's doing a very daredevil thing of like focusing your other senses because you don't have sight and stuff. Um, like Blackjack is so ridiculous because I feel like, you know, every, like it's three pages long, but it's every, every, every issue has like five different scenes in it or like locations, you know, it goes around so much, There's so much incident. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think this is what you know you're saying about comparing, say, action versus 2000 AD. Whereas there was so the, the, like the pacing of something like this, like shorter stories, but so yeah, like um, I, yeah, I, I I feel like an action story, like like when you're talking about what happens, is actually longer than your average 2000 AD story. <laughs> there's yeah. there's so much incident in it, you know, just like a beginning, a middle, and end, and a cliffhanger and stuff. It always like has those things, and it is like just gives you a lot. There's a lot going on in it, man. Ugh. <laughs> and and honestly, like as as complicated as Blackjack is, I feel like it hits its marks more than misses it. You know? Yeah. Sure. And speaking of scoring, it's story seven. Look out for Lefty. <laughs> uh, writer Tom Tully, artist Barry Mitchell, and, and uh, Tony Harding. All right. <laughs> Do you have gnomes in the in the states? Yeah, absolutely. Like there's a whole right, yeah okay. garden gnomes, uh, pink flamingos, all that stuff. Right, and okay. We've, we, we, like, these dang garden gnomes have been a constant, like, thorn in Lefty's side for the last three episodes, basically. <laughs> Whereas his granddad bought, like, 500 of them. And he was trying to get rid of them ever since. And it seems like he finally has, because due to the events of last episode, um, Lefty's managed to unload them as a new pop art trend to Sid Smythe's dad, his, his nemesis's father's shop. Uh, so, so does the electric bananas has that been was that something in a previous episode because I, I, I was trying to work out what that actually 
I forget. Perverted. Like it's just so, I just, they just have like generic stuff. For it. Oh no! Oh no! 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 They got a like um, Angie like got a bunch of like magazines and stuff to try to like like they the, the basic idea was they tried to make like these gnomes not just be regular garden gnomes but like pop art accessories because they sort of sold them to the teacher mr gosling as like a scam or like a con basically to like then resell (laughs) them to uh, mr Smythe here so that's why these gnomes aren't just gnomes but they've also got like like a bunch like david bowie stuff going on with them or other things like that i'm gonna have to try that with dan at planet replicas and see if he'll go for it (laughs) I mean, listen, like a line of uh, of plastic garden gnomes, like you could just three D print them. I feel like it'd be pretty oh easy. Oh my god! I mean, if you have if you had like dread garden gnomes, you probably would sell them. Oh yeah. Oh, listen, yeah. I am the gnome. I feel like that's just or I I I am the lawn. Yes. All right. Oh yes. <laughs> no one, no one listening, steal this. All right, we got it. <laughs> oh man. Um. So, Mister Smythe calls up Mister Gosling and tells him about this whole scam. Meanwhile, Lefty. He's been called up to play against United Dairies this afternoon, and Swifty, and sorry, and uh, Lefty plays and Swiftly just makes fools of him. He like juggles the ball and scoring at will. He's cheeky, but he gets results. And uh, Angie's dad says, "One more good game, and Lefty will be on the team permanently." Uh, later at a club, Lefty and Angie are slow dancing, but all Lefty can think about is football. So Angie punches him in the face for his troubles. <laughs> You know, it's not a great relationship, but if you can sort of point Angie in the right direction, I feel like it's a pretty decent one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It also looks like Lefty's granddad is having a good time with the widow Robinson. And the next day, Lefty makes fun of Sid for his dad buying all those gnomes (laughs) and stuff. (laughs) Everything seems to be coming up Lefty, but Mr. Gosling has a plan to cool the footballer down. I'm not sure whether Gosling's based on anybody in the office. I mean, he's got such a distinctive face that he reminds me a lot of the of a uh, of of uh, the the guy that does know all, like a, a ten right. Smith or something like that. That sort of like like beard and glasses combo looks kind of familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, at recess, Lefty gets hit, or sorry, he hits powerful shots just at like a a brick wall goal, and then taunts uh, Smythe about his upcoming game where he's going to become a a, a a pro. Mr. Gosling overhears this and decides to scuttle Lefty's plans. He enlists Nick Telford, the school's biggest thug, to mess with Lefty, and soon Nick and his sidekick Alf are holding Lefty down and beating him up, throwing footballs in his face, and all that stuff. Um, they Alf's, Alf's got a pretty impressive hairstyle. He's got that big, uh, the big like uh, uh, ringlet curls going on. It's good times. Yeah. <laughs> they they stomp his right foot, not his left, because they you know are are screw ups in the end. And only an attack of custard of custard flans tossed by Angie and her friends uh, keeps them from beating Lefty any further. Just big old pie fight breaks out, and he's freed. <laughs> When Mr. Gosling arrives, Nick blames Lefty for starting it, and when Lefty protests, he gets slapped in the face by Gosling and just some good old uh, another brick in a wall style English uh, school corporal punishment, and then gets sent to two hours of uh, detention, which means that he can't leave to go to the game or he'll be sent to the the, the cops, and this will ruin Lefty's future. <laughs> the uh, the corporal pun- like you know last episode like. Uh, um, Gosling like uh, like like spanked Lefty with a cane. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> Just, like, yeah, I, I mean, you know, we we had that as well, yeah. you know, 
it's normally reserved for the uh, the bad kids, but uh, yeah, I mean, you used to get sort of uh, you know, a cane, uh, the, yeah. the threat of the cane. I mean, you didn't generally get sort of uh, teachers smacking you in the face out, you know, outside of a, an office. But yeah, it's it's uh, very very shocking to my like uh, lily white, uh, you know, millennial American eyes here. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm like, whoa, like it's it's as shocking as Hookjaw. Almost, like, <laughs> whoa! And you slapped yeah. that guy. Whoa, Jesus. I mean, yeah. I mean, they would do things. I mean, like they would chuck uh, like uh, blackboard uh, erasers at, at kids and things like mm-hmm. that. I mean, obviously not trying to, you know, hit them, but it's pretty. It's a pretty risky thing to do unless you're a yeah. very good shot. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's just I don't know. It, it's it's just weird to be one of those uh, time things, I guess. But so Lefty's trapped in detention. But m- when Mister Gosling just goes to get a cup of tea to gloat about ruining Lefty's life, he hears a weird sound from upstairs. Oh, it's vandals! He grabs a mop and runs up to do battle, but is instead locked in the theater paint room. Oh, he's stuck in there with a lot of paint. And it was Angie. It's a, very, a very suspicious looking boot there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, just gets kicked in, door locked behind him. Because um, it, it was Angie all along. She springs Lefty from detention and lets him ride on the handlebars of their bike when his ankle isn't strong enough to ride the bike on his own. And they've got a very, like, sort of, uh, you know, funny, um, like, banter as he rides on the handlebars and stuff. <laughs> Lefty arrives at the game after it started and quickly gets changed and goes on the pitch. He gets subbed in because the left winger's just gone out, and uh, he go and he uh, goes to play despite his right his uh, hurt right leg. His left is still good, of course. He hits some awesome passes, but when he tries to take a shot on a one timer, he um, instead he goes straight down like the like he uh, the ball goes right to the keeper, and Lefty's like ah my leg, you know, and gets knocked out. If he's injured though, because he's lied because he'd be lying about not being injured. It'll be the end of his career. What's he going to do? Oh, look out for Lefty. More action next week. I got, you know, one thing that I think that I'm, I'm noticing in these issues is there aren't a lot of, um, like, a teaser taglines. You know, in 2000 AD, it's always a big, like, you know, next time. Like, yeah, you know, they, they, they do a lot of puns for the, yeah. uh, the next one. I get the feeling that's just the... Uh, on the, you know, in 2008, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's just sort of is up to the sub-editor. And I feel like with those ones, we're feeling really the hand of McManus at the uh, at the till. You know, either the early days when he was still the assistant editor on action or when he's, like, making Simon Geller do it <laughs> when he's editing yeah, 2008. Because I, mean, I tend to sort of put in a lot more at the uh, at the front. So, like, on, mm-hmm. on this one, it's, you know, a shop full of gnomes that no one will buy. You know, yeah. you don't really get that as much in 2080, I guess. Yeah, there's all. Yeah, there's there's rarely th- those big text open like 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 just the one word op- or the one line openers in 2080. They more go to go for the for the next time, I guess. So, yeah, it's an intre- yeah. yeah, interesting little like you know changes in culture for these different um, <laughs> strips and stuff. And speaking of changing battlefields, it's story eight. Helmet of the Africa Corps. Uh, writer Jerry Finley Day, artist Mike Dory. Oh, man. You know, I, it, it, it's it's funny. I've been talking to Mike Dory recently on Instagram, so it's kind of funny <laughs> just to see his stuff in here. Um, and, you know, the way he draws all these characters is really great and such a great fit for action and it's gritty. And the the gritty style we've, we've talked about earlier this episode. Mm-hmm. 
So it, it's Tunisia 1943. Hellman's on the run from a, Allied forces, especially the, the newly arrived Americans. Uh, last episode, we had a, um, Hellman had a bunch of run-ins with different American tank commanders and stuff. We see the British and U.S. forces finally linking up on the African Peninsula. They, like, you know, shake hands and stuff. You see the the, the different directions their sergeant stripes go, which is kind of funny. Um, and <laughs> But the meeting is quickly soured as German tanks um, beneath them shoot up onto the hillside that they're on and destroy it, causing all their tanks to slip over the side. Oh, geez. The, you no good Germans just shaking fists at them. <laughs> Later, Hellman gets a letter from Rommel, and Rommel sort of talks about how he doesn't like the Nazis and their ill management of the war. He offers to get Hellman out of Africa to fight another day. But before Hellman can do anything about it, known jerk SS officer Kastner arrives. <laughs> are, are there any non-jerk SS officers? I don't know. It's... I mean, I, I, I guess you're right. Like, I don't want to make – like, that's a pretty bold statement to say, oh, that's the nice SS guy. But, like, I guess just because we know Kastner. Because, like, I like – Honestly, later in this in this episode, like the Waffen SS guys on the train seem moderately okay, <laughs> Caster, because like we've seen Caster specifically be like a coward and stuff. He like stranded Helm in the middle of a minefield or whatever. That sort of you know make him seem bad specifically, I guess. <laughs> But so Kastner wants to see the letter, and Hellman knows that it would be damaging to Rommel's career, so instead he destroys it, but Kastner still... This is amazing. This, uh, <laughs> I, I just couldn't believe he was doing this. I'm going to demolish it with my bare hands. <laughs> just, like, rips it up, and, like, I, I think he burns it with a cigarette or something. <laughs> and Kastner's like, fine, whatever, but I'm taking that plane to Germany. I'm, see you later, fools. <laughs> just pieces out again. <laughs> Which is what he always does when things look bad, which is really great, just to make him specifically just as a slimy toad of an SS guy. <laughs> and there's a line here, two Americana tank battalions coming in like killer crabs. Like, are killer crabs a thing? <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've read some 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 novels that are indeed about killer crabs. <laughs> I mean, I've heard about pincer maneuvers and things like that, but killer crabs. Man. I mean, I read one that was just called Night of the Crabs. It was about giant crabs invading an English town. They were they were led by an evil king crab. It was pretty amazing. Right. <laughs> but, I reckon Alan Moore could have gone that route with Halo Jones or oh, the rats. So ready. King crab. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I just imagine a little crab with a crown on his head. and He looks very jaunty, you know. Um <laughs> Got a sector in one claw. Yeah. Oh, awesome. But anyhow, okay. <laughs> the uh the the allies are approaching and he won't and and Hellman won't desert his men. He did he he would have taken that plane anyway, by gosh. Instead, he leads an effort to scuttle his company's tanks so that they can't be taken as, as a prizes by the Allies. And with one remaining panzer, as the Allies are approaching, Hellman and his troops ride the tank deep into the water, eventually jumping onto a German sub, which is actually a pretty similar story to what happened in, uh, in, in Greed's Grudge War, this, this issue. Yeah. Like a lot of driving cars really deep into water, I guess. Um, and he pauses only because he's like positioned a shell in like the driver's seat of the tank and he like throws a hammer into the tank so that it hits the shell and causes it to explode, which is pretty neat, to be honest. I'm kind of wondering, like, 
you know, would a tank be pretty much knackered if it was in salt water like that anyway? It seems like you could just drive it out into the sea and that'd be enough. <laughs> like, it's not going to look good <laughs> on, you the, think? on the command uh, line. It'd destroy all its sensitive electronics and stuff. But I, I don't know. I don't know how to scuttle tanks, I guess. That, that's for <laughs> better We'll, we'll leave it to the hammer-throwing uh, good German. I mean, you know, he, he he's interested in, in, uh, in, in, in moments as well as of... Uh, or, <laughs> It's the journey to destroying the tank as well as the destination for Hellman, I think. <laughs> so back in Germany, though, Hellman's given a new assignment. He'll be fighting on the Eastern Front against Russia. He's got to forget any silly ideas about honor because the Russian Front is the dirtiest and deadliest fight. And a final death sentence from that rat, Kastner, who uh, Hellman sees like in, the, in an office nearby. <laughs> I... You know, plus there's vampires out there, man. You gotta be yeah, careful. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on out in Russia. Yeah. Hellman arrives on the train headed for Russia, uh, checks out the new Panther tank he'll be commanding, though he's forced to hang out with like these Waffen SS tank commanders on the train who are like, Oh, I see you got some desert medals. El Alamein, huh? You lost that one, loser. Like these guys are also kind of jerks. <laughs> Disrespect him for coming from them. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, these Nazis, I guess. <laughs> um, meanwhile, the the Russians are planting bombs in the tank tracks. It's the last stop for those Germans, or uh, is the is last stop for those Germans. Uh, the the train blows up, and soon Hellman is under heavy fire with little more than a carving knife from the officer car as a weapon. That's all he needs. <laughs> he does manage to take somebody out with one. He jumps across the trains and manages to get to his Panther tank, and he and a heroic train conductor free the vehicle and roll out to fight the partisans. Even one man piloting a Panther is able to take out these Russians and send them running until German reinforcements arrive. These new Panzers could make a difference on the Russian front. <laughs> Ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> Helen arrives on the front in an armored car ahead of his tanks, and suddenly his car is hit by a shell, and Helman takes command of a nearby artillery position. But in that position, they can't see the Russian tanks, luckily, because there's a big cornfield surrounding them. Luckily, Helman has, like, tank sense, I guess. He was bit by a radioactive tank, <laughs> so he can, de he can detect them, and he's able to guide the trajectory of this uh, artillery piece and take the Russian tank out. Hellman then. Oh god, it's all like, sort of like Aquaman, you know. But it was sort of exactly. Hellman could, could control it's a just, fleet of tanks. It's just one of these things where he's like standing there, perfectly still, and everyone's like, "What do we do, Major?" And he's like, "Shh, I feel the tank force," you know. <laughs> so he he leads a squad of camel of camouflage troops to t to check out the down tank, a T thirty four. He's impressed by its design and keeps making these, um, oh, like I'm in Hammer Force and the Russians have the hammer and sickle. It's like we're long lost brothers or something sort of uh, observations. Uh, <laughs> when Hellman hits, um, sorry, when Hellman's, when Hellman exits, though he sees his troops have been captured by Russian troops who start bayonetting Hellman's men right in front of him, thinking fast, though Hellman kicks his gun at a downed grenadier and then, in the confusion, goes to hide a nearby cornfield, where indeed he picks up a spare corn sickle and uses it to take out the remaining Russians. It's super ironic. <laughs> it's really heavy on the symbols. <laughs> I mean, it's real. this feels like something like, this is, this feels so Jerry Findlay Day to me, honestly. It's one of those. 
Like, well, he's in Russia and he's called Hammer Force. He's got to do something with a sickle. Like, that's just how it goes, you know? <laughs> Anyhow, he manages to hold his own until Hammer Force arrives and he's saved. Next time, is Hellman talking bull? Oh. I don't know. We'll see, I guess. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the Hammerstein team up. That'll be, oh, uh... yeah. Especially because Mike Dory did some of those early uh, Robusters stories too. I yeah, think. so oh, that'd, well, be, that'd, be, that'd be a pretty good commission. Oh yeah, okay. Hel- Helman and Hammerstein, <laughs> Hammerstein back to back on the Volgan front. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> man. And with that, Steve Green, we have finished action numbers twenty-two to twenty-four. Oh man, Ooh. this was amazing. Thank you for coming on the show. This is a lot of fun. And Thank you for having me. Of course. And with that, I have one question for you. Which were, What were your top and bottom stories? Uh, well, uh, bottom... Uh, Green's Grudge War. I, I, I don't think I've seen Bellardinelli. I mean, I love Bellardinelli, but I don't think I've ever seen him do other World War II stuff, and he doesn't seem that mm-hmm. suited for it. He, it's, he's kind of too clean and too fantastic, and it doesn't like play to his strengths. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think sort of like, I think that's partially sort of down. I might enjoy it more if it was a bit of a grittier artist, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it seems a bit out of place in action. It's all a bit too bit too slick. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a weird. It's a weird thing to criticize a, an yeah. artist for being. No, it does look really. Slick, but, yeah, um, it looks really different from all the other comics in, in action for sure. I mean, in kind of the same way that that I guess Coffin Sub did early in in action, where it's sort of yeah, like the. I, I I think the point you made about like 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 grittiness versus cleanliness is a really important one for sort of what makes action action. I think. Mm-hmm. But top, <sighs> I mean, I like hook jaw, but I also like helicopter based deaths and flaming machetes. So <sighs> I think I might go with treasure. That's super fair. I mean, <laughs> I, just, I, I just think, yeah. I mean, I think, I think Dredger's so ridiculous. Um, you know, yeah. yeah. yeah I, th- I think I'll go for Dredger, but uh, Hook Jaw a, a close second. Awesome. I th- yeah. I I think for me, like I'll 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 join you with uh, Green's Grudge War. I think it's just so because so much of it is just the same note of just Green thinks he's doing great, but it turns out to be a mistake. And then Bold actually does great and stuff. And it's just like, okay, like I feel like we've gotten this joke. Like I'm I'm pretty ready for, you know, for something else to happen in the, in, in this comic, you know? Um, yeah, I don't I don't think it's got enough I mean like Helmet of Hammer Force, it's got a it's got a quite good hook that it's you know, the the opposing side. Mm-hmm. And you know, a bit more comp- I mean, even though it's like it's really on the nose with symbolism and things like that, <laughs> it's uh, it, you know it's quite fun. It has the sort of ridiculous things like him taking apart his own tank by hand, right? Uh, whereas uh, Green Scratch Ward doesn't. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's 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 okay, but uh, compared yeah. to the rest, it's sort of yeah, yeah it, it it kind of stands out there. And I think for my top, um, well, I mean, like you said, like it's hard not to just do like Dredger and Hookjaw every uh, every week. <laughs> Those ones are always my favorite. Um, I think this time, though, I might pick Blackjack just because, I mean, I'm stunned. Like, really, uh, not even reading it, but just talking about it, I'm still stunned by just how much goes on in one issue of of uh, of, of, of Blackjack. 
and just how many like threads are going on in the story at a given <laughs> time and stuff. It's ridiculous. And I think that yeah, that's a really – It's almost like three stories worth of – you know, you could have three separate stories. You know, you could yeah. have, you know, a, a boxer going blind or, you know, somebody somebody singing career or something with a mob. Or, but it's just a fact yeah. that it's got all these it, things, you know, matching. Yeah, match it, could, it could easily just be about kung fu or something. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just love that it's just such a uh, such a everything plus the kitchen sink sort of story. And I think that's a really yeah. bold, bold choice. What, 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 you don't like singing? Oh, we've got kung fu. What, you don't yeah. like boxing? We got, oh, you know. Yeah, we, 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 we have got like fighting, stuff going on. gangster <laughs> fighting. There's intrigue. It's good. Time. It's really good. I think it's I think it's a lot of fun for sure. Oh, man. Fantastic. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Uh, feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com and the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at spacespinner2k. Everything else is look up spacespinner2000. We should be there. Come back next time as Dredger deals with the noose of death. The grudge war goes to the mattresses. Lefty scores again. And Hookjaw is ready for his close-up. <laughs> and before we go, Steve, is there anything you'd like to plug or uh, where, where p- 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 people can find you online? Uh, well, I mean, at the moment, I'm, I'm, I've sort of set up an account on ArtStation, which is a, a portfolio sort of site for uh, sort of artists and things. So I've been doing a lot of Dread helmets and Dread models and just general 2000 AD sort of stuff. So uh, if if you have a look on there, it's under Steve D Green, not Steve D Double E Green. Uh, awesome. Uh, ArtStation. Uh, yeah, on, I've been on ArtStation.com, but. Uh, Cool. I've I've been loving following you on like Facebook and Twitter and seeing all the cool helmets. I think you did a full model of um, Mechanismo recently. That was really amazing. Yeah, yeah. So sort of did that. Sort of rigged him up for animation and just sort of, uh, yeah, just sort of like went, went a bit crazy with. I mean, we're doing a like a talk model costume at the moment, which is terrifying. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, cool. I, I want to do like a little photo shoot with talk model, but uh, yeah, it's it's trying to sort of like. You, you think that sort of people go, yeah, he, he's not a good guy, <laughs> but, but you know, it's like, he looks like the clan, you know. It's sort of like, why, why do you think? Like, oh yeah, I'm Reaper Torquemada. You know, I mean, it's it's like the problem with Torquemada so often is that he go is, is, is that he's not that sort of plain like um like you know regular armor Torquemada. He's like wormy murder cloud Torquemada, which is less less <laughs> less fun, you know? <laughs> like like Yeah. I mean I I just don't like say the guy goes, uh, do you fancy to like, you know, sort of cosplaying as Torquemada? He goes, like, do I have to stick worms up my nose? <laughs> exactly, yeah, because like, I mean cause cause clean Cause like clean, smooth line Torquemada, he like won the love of termite. You know, he got a uh, Candida to marry him and stuff like that. Yeah, like, that's reasonable, yeah. you know. Do that heel turn later. It got all wormy. It's bad times. Yeah, yeah. You know that, that that's wormy sort of uh, picks. That's not his profile pic on the dating site, is it? <laughs> no, it's like the five years ago one. Sort of shows <laughs> yeah. up, shows up at the Starbucks. Pre accident in the tube. Yeah. yeah, it's like oh my god. Anyhow, oh jeez. Enough of this 2000 AD talk. Um, and I just want to say that until next time, I'm Conrad, there's Steve, and we are Space Spinner Reaction. Splunding for three.